to us. Fires, touchdown Miami. Waddle snuck into the end zone of Miami. Boy, tight throw, tight window. They had to get that touchdown on that play. They get it. What is up, Dolphins, and welcome to the Drive Time Podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network, covering your team, your Miami Dolphins. How's it going, everybody? I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and on today's show, it's the Rewatch Omissions Back to the Lab Tape Review Podcast. You know how we do it here. The last one of the preseason, not going to do it for next week's game. We'll go over anything we missed from the game recap slash takeaways pod. We'll sprinkle in some PFF data and we'll hear from head coach Mike McDaniel and the assistants on a very, very busy episode here of the podcast from the Baptist Health Studios inside the Baptist Health Training Complex. This is the Drive Time Podcast. That's another Miami Dolphins. So it's funny because watching the game live in the stadium compared to on television in the in the station, the radio station for the post game show with Seth and OJ, they both have their different advantages. And then of course there's watching the game in a room by myself, which for me is full of pausing, rewinding, pausing, rewinding. And when I'm there live, I noticed that I don't get as many offensive line notes, but I do get a better feel for looks, concepts, coverages. That sort of thing. So it's an interesting dichotomy on these rewatches to measure the things that I missed. If you have not done so yet, check out the most recent episode. And the idea is that these two pods give you a full scope of things. You know, when we do this review in season, I've always liked the idea of the emotional reaction podcast post game and then the fine tooth comb review the day after, after having some time to digest the game, both from a film standpoint, but also from you know, the emotions cooling down uh, after the game. I just think it covers the game in a comprehensive fashion you don't get in a lot of places. So with that said, here are my rewatch notes for the Dolphins' loss 15-13 against the Las Vegas Raiders on Saturday night in week two of the preseason. Chase Edmonds, his big play in the passing game is where I start, and it's just nice by everyone involved. You have the line that squeezes and shuts down the rush game of the opposing defensive front. The Raiders run a, a little twist up front. I liked Eichenberg getting extra rec- work on that play where he goes out and gets the ribs of the, the man rushing on um, left tackle Larnell Coleman. We'll talk to Coach Matt Applebaum about that here in just a moment. And then for Tua to attack the line of scrimmage with his eyes up and keep your, op- your eyes on your options down the field. He's at the top of his drop, and you've got nothing but Raider jerseys covering up the guys in Aqua. I can't even see the number on the field side or the boundary corner who's driving on that route to tell you who it is. Edmonds and Sherfield are both bracketed, and Gasicki's beginning to uncover on a little whip route back to the inside, but Tua sees an opening on the backside and heads for that space. I like the way he attacked that open space aggressively, and that gave Chase just enough time to outrun the linebacker. The location of the ball out in front helps Edmonds transition from pass catcher to uh, runner, running back, and then his ability, Edmonds, to stay active through the penalty, that legal contact flag that came out and turn it up with explosiveness and suddenness. We saw the same thing we've been seeing all camp with him, how quick and explosive he is. And how about Chase, by the way? Just a different feel with the ball in his hands, isn't it? I mean, he was running hard. He really didn't get squared up as a ball carrier after that opening play, which there was a big windback lane. If we could just get that first force defender off that edge blocked. But his speed, suddenness, 
It just gives the offense another one of these guys who forces defenders to make these snap decisions, which is the best way to create errors and poor decisions on the defensive side, right? I am a huge, huge Chase Edmonds fan, man. He is, he is fun to watch. I thought the Raiders did a good job of consistently blitzing the weak side edges of this Dolphins offense on those fakes and boots, different run action and play action they had off of that. They were able to either stop the quarterback from getting wide or forcing them to bubble and go the long way around. We did see a 14% reduction in play action calls. That's kind of have something to do with it there. It's nice to get work against that and good to see it on tape so you can kind of have your you know counter to that look once the game starts to count here. On the first one that Tua had to ground at Gasicki's feet, you see Sherfield behind the defense all alone on a deep crosser. And if Tua could have gotten outside that force defender, man, they had a chance for a huge gain. Something to look at when you go back to the tape as a coach and, and put together your plans for, for regular season games. All of that said, I become more and more encouraged the more I see these guys work with how clean the pockets have been for them. I think it's a combination of challenging or changing rather the launch point, playing you know a solid play action game into that. And then just good old-fashioned execution doesn't hurt either. Frankly, who cares how it gets done? It's getting done. And if they can sustain that when Cheetah and Penguin are in the lineup, well, it's going to pair awfully nicely, isn't it? A good example of that's the 16-yard throw to Trent Sherfield. The run action stretched the second level of the defense, but also puts the solid wall in front of Tua so he can go through his looks and his reads and progressions. And then I just love the way he moved his feet with his eyes. The eyes and feet hardwired together. That helps you stay in a threatening position while you get through your checks mentally. And then he gets right back to that backside and puts the ball on Sherfield on time. As he comes out of that break, the ball is right there. And you could see Trent get upset with himself after the play because his first step after catching the football, you see his foot slide out. I think he probably believes that the space that he had, he could have made a move to make a man miss and get some more yards there. Durham Smythe had a really nice pull slash lead block into the gap on that three-yard Edmonds run. And then the ensuing four-yard run, you get a, a pancake block from Rob Hunt as Liam leads on a pull and squares up his stack backer. So some good work all around there. And then like that first down completion to Edmonds, the more I, I look at it, that little flare where Tua gets it out quickly, that I, I just love that play so much. Trent Sherfield on that play, back to him real quick. He runs a really, really good route to clear that boundary corner, and the only threat to chase is an outside linebacker whose first step is upfield to bluff a rush, and that's as good as coming on the blitz because with the release and chase's speed, the only chance he has to get over there for that sideline pursuit is to sell all the way out on it, and then that move back inside for a guy with Chase's shiftiness, I mean, it's really just child's play for him at that point. You're not going to make that tackle very often if you're that backer in that situation. So good operation. There's really no defense for that. It just protects you in the instance that if you're hot, you put the ball early into an advantageous situation. And we saw that there from Tua. He also had that nice check down to Mike Gesicki getting through multiple reads. We talked about that. We retweeted it from both, I think it was Dan Orlovsky and Brian Baldinger. So go check out at Wingfield NFL to find those clips of those guys breaking that down. And the last thing here, and it's sort of a continuation of something we've been on, is Tua's eyes. And I thought they were really good in this game. You know, Orlovsky broke that play down where you see him getting off reads in anticipation of the defensive rotation. That linebacker recoils back into the hook and takes away that route. The uh, flat corner falls into the deep third, which then opens the flat. 
to Mike Gesicki on that check down. I just think my biggest takeaway from this brief, brief showing as much as you can get from eight preseason snaps to hammer the point home, finding that check down fast and preventing that early defensive pursuit. It's such a hidden intangible, but all the best quarterbacks do it well. I enjoyed seeing the tight end get some run in that fullback position slash alignment. Durham, Hunter, Seathan Carter was back there. You know, Alec Ingles had a really good camp so far, but with him not out there, you get some valuable work for those guys. Uh, formerly called the Muscle Club, the fullbacks and tight ends position room. On the safety, Teddy Bridgewater took, where Coach took all the blame for a bad play call there. I think two things were true there. There wasn't really a route anywhere near where Teddy rolled to but he did have a lot of time to get rid of that pass. That's a play that you're happy to just get out of the way there in the preseason, put it in the trash, and uh, forget about it. River Craycraft, a couple of times, we saw him communicating things to guys pre-snap, and that kind of speaks to his mental aptitude and just where he is in this offense. I like the way he found soft spots in the zone and then caught the football and turned up immediately into a runner. That's why he converted so many first downs for your Washington State Cougars. Go Cougs. Then that big gainer on the corner route was a really nice catch, and he sold that route to the post before taking it back to the corner with a really good head fake to put a DB one step in the wrong direction. That's all you need in this league. I thought Robert Jones up front looked good. He was snatching guys in pass pro and they would mirror their movement while maintaining the grip up front. The kind of that you want to see from someone like him operating late into the game with clean rep after clean rep. He really moved his man on that Savon Ahmed run, which was really good burst and cut from Savon for 12 yards. I thought Rob Jones and Michael Dieter in that kind of second string offensive line had pretty consistent pass pro all night long. And I thought Adam Pankey came into the game at left guard later and had some really good work too. Always found some work, held his own in pass pro, and he's a guy that can play all five spots as well. What a ball from Teddy, by the way, on that Braylon Sanders fade right into the bucket. That one and his throw on the move where he wheeled out of trouble, that ball and the fade into the end zone that the defensive back broke up on Braylon Sanders were both absolute dimes. You had moments from all three quarterbacks in this game that just has to have you feeling good about that room as a whole. Back to the tight end position, Hunter Long had a really good run after the catch on a quick stick from Teddy where he drops the shoulder and runs through a tackle to finish that run and get extra yards for a first down. I thought he had some good work as a blocker too. The very next snap, he washes down the edge for a nice cutback from Savon. On the very next series, Miles starts with I think a four-yard rush and Hunter motions to the play side and goes and gets the forced defender and blocks him up. Good work from him. Might have been the best tight end tape on the, on the field tonight or that night. And man, on that shot to Eric Ezukama across the body, you know, Ezukama wastes not a moment to break his route and come back to the quarterback. What an impressive night he had. He is just so impressive from a, a mental standpoint, a physical standpoint. Let's go ahead and go deeper into his game. He talked a little bit about Wes Welker emphasizing getting your shoulders past your man, and that's the best way to win routes. And on that first deep ball, you see him come out of that original release off the line and he dips those shoulders and gets him past his man then takes off and it just happens so quickly take your coaching and ball out as a result you'll love to see that and then the catch obviously down the field the contested catch absolutely absurd those two on the final drive between he and Skylar Thompson outstanding throws insane body control just a really really impressive couple of plays from the two rooks and I do want to mention Skylar Thompson again he's not an omission from the podcast last night because we talked about that but man, he was feeling it. The feel and the instincts are pretty dang nice for a rookie quarterback. And then his touchdown pass to Zaquandre White. 
So he had that touchdown catch, obviously, but he had one carry for four yards that I thought was super impressive where he cut backside, then right at the line made one more little jump cut and a spin that made a man miss and propelled him forward beyond the line of scrimmage for a nice positive game when he was contacted into the backfield. So good work from the offense. Let's go ahead and turn the page to the defense. I thought Van Ginkle and Sealer consistently whipped their guys and pretty much accessed full goblin mode. Uh, Wilkins and Phillips also won their matchups with regularity, I thought. Phillips's pass rush on the near Nick Needham interception. It was play three of the game. Man, he runs the arc, and then he's able to stop, put his foot in the ground, and then get back the other direction and retrace back towards the quarterback, and he gets his hand on Stidham's arm to force an errant throw, which popped into the air. His athletic ability at that size, that combination, it never ceases to amaze me. Did the exact same thing on Zach Sealer's sack, which, by the way, <laughs> my God, Sealer is so strong. Uh, back to Gink real quick. He had a rush where he looped inside from the Fortech where you head up over the tackle and then come across the center position. And he puts a pick on the center and moves him over a solid gap with that strike. And then he comes off the hit, closes on the quarterback, and finishes with a big hit on him. Now, great play by Stidham to complete that pass. But man, Ginkle did a little bit of everything in this game. And the very next play, he lines up off the weak side C-gap and cuts that down for a tackle for loss just like Rashad Jones used to do for so long here, right? It was cool to see that. I thought Elijah Campbell was good again. He was in coverage on the aforementioned fourth down, but his recovery speed to make a play on the football was so nice. The guy is just, the, the guy that he was covering just made a really nice catch on that play. That near pick that he had down in the red zone, you see him put a foot in the ground on the little whip route, the tight end runs, and he ran it better than the receiver or the tight end. Uh, just really explosive in his change of direction and movement skills. Big fan of his game. On the play where Needham got hurt, back to him real quick, his effort, chase and tackle, and then the hit he made were all so, so very good. That play was defended so well, but the downside of third and short is they get one yard and they convert it. Uh, Keon Crossan was in coverage on a deep shot incomplete with good hands, a good jam, good start stop on the double move to get right back into phase. When the receiver turns it on, he hemmed him into the sideline with no real room to operate. Done that a couple times so far this preseason. I thought Cater Cahoo's instincts really showed on that pass breakup he had where he's running with his man, passes him off to the next man in the zone, and then he immediately works to get depth into that hook zone and puts himself in position to get his hands on a football. Man, his ability to match and press without putting a hand on the guy is, is pretty impressive. Quick twitch and a fast processor with the athletic ability he's got. That's an intriguing combination if he can do that kind of stuff consistently. There was a play where his man went in motion and took a jet sweep, and Kahoo ran all the way around and made the play on the other side of the formation. Super, super impressive. That Porter Gustin cross chop was absolutely sick. Little hezzy step, timed up with that inside hand, swatting down the right arm of the right tackle, turned that corner, and wham, sack. He's had a nice preseason so far. Duke Riley was not just fast, he fit the run super well. Good pursuit, no false steps in there, and getting to the gap quickly and finishing that stuff off. That's what I got here on the offense, on the defense. A fun rewatch. They always are. Let's come back and do some media, some pro football focus stats, all that fun stuff. That's next on the Drive Time Podcast. Your host, Travis Wingfield, brought to you by AutoNation. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's a Monday here on the Drive Time Podcast. I want to go ahead and cover some PFF numbers before we hear from head coach Mike McDaniel. And the time to throw numbers for the quarterbacks really stood out to me. 2.85, 2.76, 2.88. That is outstanding. We talked about the clean pockets. There's your proof right there by the numbers. With an average depth of target around 8 yards for all three quarterbacks too, by the way. Skyler was 3-for-3 on passes over 20 yards with 81 yards in the game. Doesn't hurt when you're getting the big splash plays down the field from the receivers. And it's interesting that the Raiders only blitzed Tua once, Teddy four times, and Skyler zero times. Again, preseason, not a lot of creativity there in terms of your scheme. We'll hear from Josh Boyer on that in just a moment. But how about 5.7 yards per route run from Eric Ezukama on 20 routes? An outrageous number. He caught two of three contested passes and small sample size, obviously, but league leaders each year, typically around 45-50% in that category. As a team, we caught four of seven. Craycraft and Preston both were one of one in that category as well. Ezukama had a four yards after the catch average, 8.5 yards after the catch for Chase Edmonds. I mentioned Zaquandre White's one carry. He was contacted three yards behind the line to give him seven yards after initial contact. Savon and Miles, with both larger workloads, averaged three yards after contact. PFF had zero pressures allowed for Connor Williams, Robert Hunt, Liam Eichenberg. That's on 14 pass rush reps or pass blocking reps. Adam Pankey also had zero. Austin Jackson had one. Rob Jones had one. Uh, Jackson, the 14 reps, and Panky and Jones played a whole bunch. Van Ginkle, man, he and Sealer went full goblin mode, like I mentioned. Four pressures for Gink on 13 pass rush reps, two for Sealer on eight. Uh, Gustin, Stilly, and Jenkins had two pressures apiece. A peach? Kind of move into the country, eat a lot of peaches. A piece for those guys. And then Hodge, Phillips, Carney Jr., Wilkins, and a, Wilkins, and Aguavin had one apiece. Kahoo, Good, and Fedulum led the way with three run stops each. Channing Tindall, Porter Gusson, and Ben Stilly, and Sam Egwavon all had two. Those are tackles within two yards of the line of scrimmage. And then Cater Kahoo also had just four yards receiving allowed on 27 coverage snaps. What a night for him. That's it. That's all in the PFF numbers. Let's go ahead and do Mike McDaniel's press conference from Sunday, starting with a question about Jalen Waddle and Teron Armstead, their availability coming into this uh, season, just now three weeks away, talking about those two players. Here's Coach Mike McDaniel. Um, both of them are doing real well. Um, the with, with Armstead, that's, that, that's a guy that's done it in the league at a high level, and we're trying to make sure that he's um, ready to go week one um and he's you know we evaluate that on a day-to-day basis he's been practicing but we're trying not to overload him um he he, you know he he has invested um a good amount this off season more typically than he usually does so we're just trying to be smart with that um and I don't have I don't have any concerns for week one at all um and the plan is is to to that you guys will see him a little bit um, this week for sure with Waddle, uh, that, that's just an exercise of, uh, uh, what would you call it? Um, a, a really restraint because, uh, 
you know, it would be one thing. I, I think I'd probably be less cautious had he not come back from, um, you know, his out of any player on the team, his jump in the scheme from OTAs to training camp was the highest. Like, he, he was um, – doing well, but kind of swimming in the playbook. Um, and, you know, I, I was very interested to see, you know, a second-year guy with his first off season, how he's going to come back for training camp. And um, he was uh, – he exceeded my expectations, and you guys know I have high expectations for him. So when, um, you know, we, we noticed something that was a little tight and just, you know, we really, really wanted to be um, uh, preventative – We've been extra cautious with him uh, because just just knowing where he's at in his game um, within the offense and how well he's doing. So uh, th- this week we um, plan to get him involved a little bit, but I-, I plan to be very cautious with him as well, just knowing what he means to the team and how um, we don't want him to have any any lingering setbacks. We want him full speed, and uh, we rely on – rely on him um, for a multitude of things and we we want to make sure that 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 he is comfortable and a hundred percent full go I mean shoot he he's starting to get pretty annoyed with how cautious we're being um, but I think it's uh, to his credit and I think it's the best thing for the dolphins and I think you guys would be mad at me if I wasn't Really cool conversation with Coach back and forth about Eric Spolster coming out to the practice last week and talking about some carryover between basketball and football. And they talked a little bit about spacing on a basketball court and how that relates to spacing on a football field. Here's Coach McDowell talking about football and basketball, which I think is a cool intersection because Coach had talked previously about, or there was a story I should say, about Coach using Allen Iverson tape to talk about releases and creating space on a football field. Here's Coach talking about the carryover. Clearly, he loves this stuff. Oh, you got me going now. You're 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 dead right though. We we had the same conversation. So, I I, I floated out here because I, I don't pretend to be an expert on basketball, but in my experience and just generation, right, we've watched um, uh, three point percentages completely change the range and where where uh, good shots are taken from. Um, you know, fast break three-pointers and and just how um, the shooting range of players expands the defense. They have to to guard more for space, which in in theoretically, in kind of the way um, we look at football, uh, specifically on the offense, is we're trying to make a defense defend maximum amount of space. So... You know, we do that with our principles of outside zone, but also speed. One of the reasons why you like speed is because now the defense has to defend more ground. So it's kind of a similar philosophy of um, creating space. Um, you do it in basketball with shooters, so then you have to draw defenders out, giving more space underneath. Um, and you do it in football with, with um, playing fast and having speed so that in the timing of the play, defenders have to uh, defend that much more area. Because that's, that's all, in, in both sports, um, defenses are trying to do the same thing. And that's, that's really, you know, you're trying to compress the area that they have to defend. 
and and uh, so it it was a really cool conversation. Something that I, I we couldn't really forecast exactly where it was going to go, but um, I think it was beneficial for both, and there are some commonalities for sure in that. I wanted to ask Coach this question about how this Dolphins rookie class, despite the fact that the fewest amount of draft picks this year in the National Football League, but also the fewest draft value points by the Jimmy Johnson value chart, how they've been able to do that and still get so much production from this rookie class. Here's Coach Mike McDaniel. Well, you just know that the... um you can't stop developing um, from the ground up, so to speak, um, on an NFL roster. So when you have limited resources, this wasn't the first time in my career I've been a part of that, um, but you just know the stakes. So you try to use those. The fact that you have limited resources means that you can spend more time in a given area projection of the draft. But it also puts pressure on you, like, hey, we, we, don't, we can't afford to, to miss because then you have a, um, you know, um, players under rookie contract that, you know, that's the, the way the CBA is written and the way the salary cap is. It's, um, it catches up to you if you don't have contributions um, from uh, successive draft classes. So um, it, it's to the credit of the – um, uh, Chris Greer in the, in the scouting department, all the position coaches and coordinators, um, when you have those limited resources, you, you know you need to get some contribution from the class, so you, so you have to really dig your heels in and make sure that you're not missing on those limited selections and opportunities. Let's go ahead and finish up here with Eagles Week coming up and joint practices this week, the last for fans to come out and check out this training camp. Coach was asked about, do you change up your practice plan with a new team this close to the season for joint practices? Here's Coach. Yeah, I mean, I, you're always – me. I, I really, really test the entire building and the organization um, with changes because, you know, it's my philosophy to always change, rel- to think through stuff. Maybe it doesn't change, but a lot of times you're altering stuff depending on your exact situation. Um I think that's more to do with uh, the amount of reps that you can take um, and um, where you're, you're feeling uh, where your most depth is, the, the decisions that you have to make in the pending future and those opportunities. Um, from Are you asking from a schematic? The follow-up was about one-on-ones and the tone and script of practice. Here's Coach. That's the nature of joint practices. Like, it's hard... Um, guys are competitive and, and you, you, you plateau to a degree when you're going against the same people all the time, but then you get this random influx of different types of players and the competitor in each individual player. Like, even if we tried to tone down the, the, um, intensity, that would, it'd be hard because they want to beat that guy across from them and prove it. And they get more opportunities um, in joint practices where, I mean, you can go a quarter as a receiver and maybe not catch man coverage. Or if you do catch man coverage, maybe the ball doesn't go to you. Well, joint practice, you line up and how many one on rep, one reps can I take? Because if I take six, I know I'm going to get six man to man opportunities and get the ball six times. So what can I do with that? Those, those are, um, 
that with exception, the, the only thing that we w- really would adjust um, is maybe the length of it, but the intensity and exactly what you're doing, that's hard to adjust, and um, that kind of defeats the purpose of the joint practices. There you go, head coach Mike McDaniel on his Sunday post-game press conference, day after press conference, I should say. Let's go ahead and take our last break here before we get to assistant coaches media. I spoke to Josh Boyer, Sam Madison, Austin Clark, Wes Welker, Daryl Bevel, and Matt Applebaum. We'll play the hits from those chats here next on the Drive Time Podcast. Your host, Travis Wingfield, brought to you by AutoNation. Let's pick this back up with assistant coaches media. We had six guys I had a chance to talk to. Always good insight. Always some expertise offered offered from those guys. And we start here with Daryl Bevel, who I asked about the genesis of Tua's pregame ritual and what we saw on the broadcast, how that came to be, how that was received by Tua when Coach Bevel brought it up. Here's Coach. Uh, you know, we I mean we've we've talked about a lot of things, and um, you know, I just I just. Uh, try to impress on them just different you know I've been around some pretty successful quarterbacks with you know Brett Favre and Matthew Stafford Russell Wilson and they all they all have different things they like to do so um, you know some things stick some things don't and uh, that was one of the things that I think he, he found important and my follow-up how would you say that has impacted his game positively you know I, I would say that his preparation really since the day that we've been here has has attributed to the success that he's having and you know the the leaps and bounds that he's having within our offense. I mean, he's done a great job of, um, of, of really investing his time into it. And it's this is not an easy system to learn. So he's, he's really done a great job of just um, kind of dive into it every day. I would, I would venture to guess there's probably not a day that goes by that he's, he's not doing something with the offense. Had to cut that short because of that freaking helicopter, but he was pretty much done there with the answer, and you got the gist of it. Up next, Wes Welker and his perspective on Mike McDaniel's comment Sunday about Jalen Waddle's jump from OTAs to camp being the biggest he saw on the entire roster. Here's Wes Welker. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I think Jalen, you know, he had such a great rookie year. Um, you know, we're very excited about, you know, him coming back for the second season, and and uh, really just to see the jump he's made, I think with the additions that we've made in the room and, and uh, the, the, the type of guys that are in there, um, uh, having some real pros in there because he's still a young player and still learning and, and all those different things. And, and to do what he's done, do what he did as a rookie is, is pretty incredible. And so, um, you know, just trying to build off that. And I think he's... Uh, you know, face that challenge head on and, you know, making sure there's no sophomore slump or anything like that. And and uh, going out there and, and performing the way he has has been uh, pretty remarkable. And, and uh, he's such a talented, talented dude. And and um, when, when he puts it all together, man, it's, it's pretty special. Special player indeed. How about an update on the progress of Eric Azukama and Braylon Sanders? No, they're doing really well. You know, um, they just continue to get better every day. They come out, they work hard. They've uh, done everything that we've asked of them. And and um, you really see them, you know, just continuing to grow. And um, and they're going to continue to. I mean, there are, there's still a lot of mistakes that we got to clean up. But you, you can really see the, the talent level of those guys and, and what they have to offer as far as football players. And, and um, they're... they're they're going. They're in the right trajectory of, of where they're supposed to be, and probably even a little bit ahead. And um, and so we just got to continue to stay on those guys and 
and make sure that they're they're continuing to develop to where they, you know they 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 can hopefully help us. And then finally, how about the way he felt Eric Azukama responded after the fact that he got off to a slow start by his words and that Coach Welker kind of challenged him? How did Welker feel like he responded to that challenge? Uh, well, I'm just going to start ripping him every game <laughs> if you're going to do that. So, um, but no, um, it's always good to see guys that, that can that can take. Uh, criticism especially you know I, I don't necessarily like to get on to guys on game days to me that's that's their day um, but if I see something they feel like you know they, they need an extra boost or whatever it is um, and every guy's kind of different with that so um, you know it, it was good to see him respond the way that he did though and and go out there and and put together the game that he did especially there in the fourth quarter and giving us a chance to win. One of my favorite conversations with offensive line coach Matt Applebaum. I asked him first about an evaluation on Austin Jackson, Liam Eichenberg, and Rob Hunt. Um, yeah, I mean, those guys are getting better every day, you know what I mean? Um, so I'm, I'm pleased with their progress. Um, I think from the start of the offseason until this very day, those guys have come in with the right mindset, right attitude. Some days are better than other days. That's to be expected. But I think it's been a, a overall steadily climb towards becoming the players that they're meant to be and that I expect them to be and they expect themselves to be. And then here's a fun little behind-the-scenes coaches talk here. I asked him about the guards often finding extra work when they don't have anybody to block on a certain or on a given play, I should say. And Coach broke it down in two parts for me right here. Let's go ahead and run that. Yeah, it depends um, within the protection scheme. Obviously, we don't want guys to not block anybody. Uh, we kind of call those no hitters. Those are unacceptable. Uh, so, you know, what they can do when the defense presents a situation where they wouldn't have any work is scheme dependent. So it's not like they just are aimlessly kind of looking for a guy. It kind of depends on what the play call is, and that'll push them in one direction or the other to look for that work. But if, yeah, if you're just watching the tape and you see a guard uncovered and then or there's like a three technique and the guy loops out to the tackle, the end drops, now he doesn't have work, you're going to see the guy looking for work and trying to get a piece of somebody. Um, and if you didn't know what the play call was, it might look like it's just kind of like at his leisure, or no, that leisure, like at his discretion, which direction to work in. But there is a there's a planned part of that part even too. It's like if I'm the left guard, let's say, and I, I got the three technique, man, the center's going the other way, three loops out, five drops. His reaction is scheme dependent in terms of which direction he might work at that point. But certainly, we want to go smash somebody. You know what I mean? It's just, it's not just like, but it's not just like, you know, at his discretion. There is a, even the, the, the reactions to the reactions are built within the scheme, I guess what I'm trying to say. Awesome, awesome stuff. Let's go to the defensive side of the ball and more good stuff here from D.C. Josh Boyer. I asked him about how the preseason approach kind of changes or, you know, what your focus is when the Raiders, for instance, didn't match personnel with the Dolphins offense. I asked him, what's the benefit of that? Here's Coach Boyer. Um, well, again, it could be something you could throw it in as a changeup. It could be something that you do on a regular basis. Uh, there's obviously, um, you know, some thought process to be bigger versus smaller groups. Like, for example, if they're an 11 personnel, to be in a base defense. If you feel good about your adjustments and your matchups, um, 
and obviously that's a hard group to run against. Uh, and then some people, they prefer to be in like a nickel or call it a big nickel three safety package versus all groups. So, and again, I think the element of like as coaches, we're creatures of habit. So you kind of study what people do and have done. And if, you know, they throw you a change up or a curveball there, you got, you got to be ready to adjust as it, as it comes. So. And then I asked him about a follow-up about the benefits of seeing looks that maybe are not advantageous to you, but you let the play run out anyway to get an opportunity to see that look against a, a you know disadvantaged look. Here's Coach Boyer breaking it down. Yeah, which I think happens quite often in the preseason. So there, there may be situations that come up that you uh, ordinarily would adjust a different way, but you're, you're not really willing to put that out there, like what you're going to be in certain situations. It's come up several times for us already this year. Um, so... Yeah, I, I think there's advantages in the preseason to, uh, you know, not exactly playing how you would in the regular season. And the follow-up, do you ever have to kind of quiet the competitor inside to not dial up a blitz? Here's Coach. Sure. I, I think I think one of the things that, you know, our staff does a, a, a great job of is um, even as the game's going on, it'd be like, all right, this is what we're getting. We would adjust it this way or we'd do it this way. But it may not necessarily transpire uh, or like, you know, it is, and sometimes it's easy because, you know, it's usually pretty basic in the preseason. It's not a lot of game plan stuff. You'd be like, all right, this is their game plan. This is what they're doing. Um, you know, there were a lot of offensive calls and defensive calls last night that you would have saw the same offensive play versus the same defense uh, last night, which, you know, that, that happened several times. Um, again, I think they were, you know, kind of of the same mentality of us, more uh, fundamentals, techniques, evaluate players. Um, and um, it was some good work for us. And uh, there's some things to learn from. And, you know, it was a good opportunity for us to come in here today and see the things that we could do better and that we need to do better to ultimately win games. Let's go next to cornerbacks coach Sam Madison on Keon Crossan's play and how it compares now to what they saw on tape when he signed. Aggressiveness is the key to the game. A little bit more aggressive. You know, um, his game before was a lot of um, utilizing his speed um, and just the way that uh, Josh really wants to play. You got to want to be aggressive at the line of scrimmage. And those are some of the, the things that I like to do. So just being able to pick up on the little things that he does very well, having the confidence to utilize his speed, but putting a little aggressive aggressiveness on it. And he's been doing very well with that. Let's finish up with Coach Austin Clark. First about Ben Stilley's training camp in preseason and then Andrew Van Ginkle's speed and instance. Yeah, I think Ben, you know, coming in, we kind of knew that he was a high motor, high effort, physical guy. I would say one of the other things is he's, he's a really smart guy, you know, in terms of uh, he, he can handle a lot and he has good, uh, you know, he soaks it all up and he's able to, his recall is very, very good. He can handle multiple spots. And I think that, coupled with the, you know, the fact that he's been able to grasp the technique quickly, has really helped him. And we've seen a guy that, you know, initially struggled a little bit. And he's getting better each game, and uh, you know, excited to see what he does on Tuesday and moving into Philly week. Yeah, you know, Gink, his speed is one thing, his instincts are another thing. And I think when you combine those two things, that's kind of the the, the type of player he is, and he knows when to take a shot you know and the other night on that on that counter is a perfect example you know he he was able to play with great instincts shoot a shot get the tfl 
get us to second and long situation. And, uh, you know, he's smart too, you know, and I think those those things about Gink over the, the past two years, you've seen it, and it's it's cool to see him have some confidence with what he's doing now. And, you know, I think it's going to be big for him, big challenge for him this week. All right, that podcast was a lot of work to put together. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I enjoyed making it for y'all, getting you some insight there on your Miami Dolphins. In the meantime, it's going to be my time. You all, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. You can follow me on Twitter at WingfieldNFL. Getting close to 40K. Go ahead and tell a friend. Want to hit that milestone before the season starts. Follow the Dolphins at Miami Dolphins. Check out the Fish Tank podcast with Seth and Juice and our weekly Twitter Spaces show every Wednesday at 8 o'clock, plus the postgame show on 560 WQAM after every Miami Dolphins game. Check out the YouTube channel for media availabilities and Dolphins Today. Drive time and fish tank content on there as well. And last but not least, MiamiDolphins.com. Until next time, fins up, Caroline, daddy's coming.